Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning. All right, I'm going to try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, lovely to see you all. We're glad that you guys are back in town. For those of you that were traveling, hope you had good Thanksgivings. So we are going to be reading Psalms 93 this morning to start. I had Psalms 23, very different. I can just read it from here, I guess. Alrighty, if y'all wanna go ahead and stand while we read this, that way we can go right into worship together. Alrighty, Psalms 93, Psalm. (laughs) (laughs) The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up. O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. This is a very powerful section here. And the songs that we're singing this morning are very powerful. Um, As we come around the table today, I just hope that you guys can come with grace for each other. You can come with grace for yourself because the Lord has grace for you. Whatever you've done or whatever you're coming in with, he's mightier than it. So let's pray together. God, we trust you. This morning we trust you. You have all the strength, all the love, all the mercy, all the grace, all the power that we need 
to overcome whatever it is that we're facing and come to the table ready to feast. God, we're ready to feast this morning on all that you have for us. But God, we want to give back to you. We also want to praise your name this morning. To come humble to your throne at your feet. Lay everything down. And allow you to just lift up our heads so we can look straight into your eyes and see who we are. See who you are. And then see who we are because we're made in your image. So God, we approach the throne this morning with that heart, with that mindset. Lord, I pray any distractions, anything that might allow Satan to have some kind of foothold on how this morning goes for us or what it looks like. We just rebuke it and we, we thank you, God, for your spirit that's already here. We pray for more, God. We want to encounter you this morning. We want to know more about who you are through our interactions with others that were also made in your image. And as we take communion and as we speak about the table and all that you've prepared before us, God, we're so thankful. We thank you, God, and we worship you and praise you this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name. What better place to receive than at the table? So if you didn't know, today is Christ the King Sunday, which is the final Sunday of the Christian calendar. And what I love about this Sunday is that it celebrates the kingship of Christ, right? So we have this final piece that Jesus was born, that he died, that he rose again. But there's this final piece that he is coming again. And so we celebrate today the sovereignty of Christ. And it's not a climax to the calendar, but it's a transition, right? Because as today we say we can celebrate the kingship of Christ, we move right into a preparation for the incarnation, which reminds us that Christ is, was born, right, of the Virgin Mary, and he was born to come again, right? So Advent is the space we create to say, we long for the coming of the risen King. So today, as we gather at the table, this is a prophetic reminder that Christ has come but he's coming again. When we come to the table, we remember, but we prophesy. And we encourage each other for our hearts, that the, the hearts this morning that are feeling desperately the void of goodness. We pray that as you take communion, your soul would be nourished to the depths of the unspeakable mystery of the goodness of God. All right, if you can... Use your warrior legs. We're going to stand up. Props to you guys over there as you've been hanging in. But we're going to pray together. There's something about our posture that moves. Our body can move our spirits. So sometimes just the act of standing can move us into agreement. And so we're going to pray together. And I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer this morning with a simple, Lord, hear our prayer. So after I pray, you're going to, we're all going to say together, Lord, hear our prayer. So I'm just unifying 
in some simple prayer this morning. So we're going to pray for the church and for the world. Grant almighty God that all who confess your name may, you, may be united in your truth, live together in your love and reveal your glory in the world. And we pray, Lord, hear our prayer. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, hear our prayer. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, hear our prayer. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. Lord, hear our prayer. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, hear our prayer. And so God, we turn our faces up to you and we ask that our great high priest would intercede for those, the brokenness of the world that you would give us the courage to be the answer you would have us be. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth that is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Morning. How are we doing today? All right, so we've been talking through exploring the tables of Scripture. All right, you guys have been waiting on the edge of your seat every week, right, to hear about this. Um, the, Josh has preached two sermons already about this, and I've been extremely excited for weeks about this message, to be honest with you. It's been on my mind constantly. I'm laying in bed at night thinking about this, this topic, and it's just really shaped my life. So today, as I share it with you, I just want you to know that, it's, that I'm, I feel like I'm living this right now. It's part of who God's creating in me. And so the last two weeks, Josh, the first one, Josh preached on Jesus coming into the temple and flipping over tables. And he talked about how Jesus did this not to tell the community all the things that they're doing wrong, but because there were people in the temple who were not being able to worship correctly. And so he was flipping over tables so that people could come into community, not so he could tell the things that were wrong with community, which is what we are prone to do. Second week, he talks about Jesus feeding the 5,000, right, with the bread and the fish, and how not, not, not treating Jesus like a, a bread king, but the bread of life, and how we're sustained in our spiritual bodies by the elements that are actually on the table for us. And as Christians, the elements for us is Jesus. Everything is centered around him. And if we are not being sustained daily by those elements, then we're just like any other group of people that gathers, whether it's a baseball team or a school thing or any other thing, we are, we're just some social group, but we center around Jesus, which makes this unique. So today, what I want to talk through is, what does it look like to take the table of God to the world? How do we do that? I think for most of us, we are so spread thin, like we just talked about, that the idea of us taking the gospel to the world is unfathomable. And if we look at most of our lives, I mean, if I were to do a show of hands the last time someone um, led someone to Jesus, it would be sparse. 
right? Most of our churches actually grow by transfer from other churches. And we build entire congregations off of pulling people from other churches. And it's, it's sustainable in some ways, but it, another church is losing, right? And another church is winning in some way. And so most churches aren't actually growing, at least in our culture, through actual discipleship. Through, not only through seeing people come to know Jesus from outside, but also from raising up our children to know the Lord. And if our church is going to be sustainable in 20 years, we have to do this well. Or else you will be coming to this thing and it will just be this empty vessel. But we want to be a church that disciples, right? So I'm going to preach on that today. Um, I think that the answer is what I'm coming to learn is that it is a slab of wood that's seated on four legs. It's probably got a lot of dust on it in your house. Probably holding a bunch of newspapers. There's, it feels like it's like that room in your house. It's like a memorial with like family pictures cased in glass. That like you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's the that's the answer I think to discipleship. And most of us have totally lost the art. If we were to look at a at a a graph of our society and the emphasis of a table. We are on a very, very downward spiral. It is more than any other time in history is right now. And most of us don't know it because it's just what we've grown accustomed to. We live life. It's fast-paced. We move. We find value in things that are not valuable. And so Scripture is a little bit different than that. Scripture teaches something very unique, and I want to talk about that today. So I want to... Before we jump in, I want to frame this message in terms of what Sarah calls the good life of the kingdom. And this idea, it comes from a Greek word called telos. Telos is an ultimate end. So if you think about you're on a road trip out west, but you've got to stop and get gas from here to there, right? The gas station isn't the end, but it's a means to the end. And so the end is where you're going. And all of us have an end. We're all going somewhere to some place. Our church is going somewhere right now. We may not know exactly where it is, but the habits and the rituals and the liturgy that we do right now affects the future. It affects your life. You don't realize it, but one day there will be something written on your tombstone, and it is because of the things you're doing currently. And so the future depends, your future, my future, the future of this church depends on what we do right now, and our tables are the answers. Our tables are the answer. So I want to look at, first I want to start off with a, a painting. Um, you guys may see, you guys ever seen this painting? Who, who knows who, who painted this? Come on, everyone over 40 has got it. So Norman Rockwell, in 1943, he painted this painting. It's kind of the iconic Thanksgiving picture, right? Uh, Thanksgiving is, the first Thanksgiving ever was in 1621, and in 1863, um, Abraham Lincoln, during the midst of the Civil War, instituted Thanksgiving as an American holiday. And in 1941, FDR changed the date to the fourth uh, Thursday of November. It used to be the last. And he addressed the country in a state of the union and Norman Rockwell uh, painted this picture in 1943, right after. You'll notice that the most significant times in the history of Thanksgiving were in the middle of war, 
right? And in the 1860s, it was right during the most divisive time of our country's history in the Civil War. In the 1940s, it was in World War II. And the times that Thanksgiving has been most important, it's amidst great division, great trial, and great war. And this picture kind of is this, maybe for some of you, you kind of have a memento of what maybe a life that you used to live that looked similar to that. But most of us, this is, this is not reality anymore, right? Uh, it may happen once a year, right, during Thanksgiving, but most of the time, we don't live a life that looks like a bunch of people gathered together, having conversation, and enjoying fellowship with one another. It's very rare. Um, I want to read to you some stats that will, I think will surprise you. The average dinner time 60 years ago was 90 minutes. Today, the average dinner time is less than 12. The average American eats one in five meals in their car, right, alone. U.S. households spend almost the same amount of money per week on fast food as we do on groceries. Meals eaten out are almost always less healthy than home-cooked meals. That is actual research has been done to show that if you, even if you're eating healthy, if you eat it out, most of the time you are eating something that is higher in calories, higher in fat, it is unhealthy for your body. Michael Pollan did a study on it. In the last 20 years, the frequency of family dinners has decreased by 33%. Average parents spend 38 and a half minutes per week in a meaningful conversation with their children. It is fascinating the curve that we are on in society and where we are headed. I want to read to you, this is a study this guy named Cody Delestray, he's a sociologist, he did a study on, he compiled like a number of different research studies and he discovered that the, the loss of the table has had quantifiable negative effects both physically and psychologically on our family and our children. This are the, these are some of the things that he found. The number one factor for parents raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, intelligent, kind human beings is frequent family dinners. The number one shaper of vocabulary in younger children, even more than any other family event, including play, is frequent family dinners. The number one predictor of future academic success for elementary age children, frequent family dinners. One of the best safeguards against childhood obesity, eating meals together. So the answer to childhood obesity is eating. Just do it with other people. Stop eating alone. The, the best prescription to prevent eating disorders among adolescent girls, frequent family dinners that exude a positive atmosphere. The variable most associated with lower incidence of depressive and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18-year-olds is frequent family dinners. As I said, if we continue on this pattern, we will become the things that we are doing. And I think many of us, we, we kind of, we like to sit back and we say, well, we're in church, we're not, we are like this. We are doing this. It's not just a study done without Christians involved. We are a part of our society 
And this is the script that we are telling our children, that we are writing for the world to say this is not any different. Right? When our children's ministry is constantly understaffed, we are writing a script that is not relevant. That is scary. And it's just, it's, it's not what the world wants. It's not what the world wants. It's, George Meyerson is a scholar. He did this study on the history of happiness throughout all of human history. He, 250 pages he spends writing about the, what causes people to be happy. His findings say that what, when people, people are most happy in life when they are eating good food and good company. And he says that if you can get that good food and good company outdoors where the sun can kiss your face, and when you can help other people, then you have won the lottery of life. The answer to your happiness, to everything you're looking for, is sitting on a, with a slab of wood on four legs in an area of your house that you've forgotten about. It's the answer. So, I want to look at what does scripture say? If the telos in the good life of the kingdom is the table, it must be in scripture, right? And it is. Genesis 2.17, this is what it says. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. This is the first words that God says to human beings. Eat. You'll pull up Revelation 22. These are the last words that God says to human beings. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The whole Bible is bookended by food and drink. And everything in between is sitting on tables. Jesus spins in the Gospel of Luke 70% of the parables he tells is either at a table or around a table. Jesus spent more time at tables than you can even know. We typically just read right over it. Look at the, in the, in the Old Testament, there's a, it's real, it starts at Exodus 25. Uh, we won't read it today, but right outside the Holy of Holies, the, the, the most holy of all places where we could, a priest could come in and encounter God, was a table, and on that table there was prepared six loaves of bread. It was called the table of presence, or the table of showbread. And this table, they would make this bread, they would make this bread every Friday, and then the priest would be able to consume it on Sunday, which for those of you who have been in church long enough, you say, oh, Good Friday, resurrection happened on Sunday. You could put the pieces together. And you see in uh, 1 Samuel even, you remember when David goes and uh, he... He's running away from Saul, and he goes and he has, and he, he has, hey, do you have any bread? He finds one of the priests, and he's, he has nothing to, to give him. And so he goes into the temple and takes the showbread, and he gives it to David. Jesus later says that this is kind of this, this symbol that the law is made for man and not man for the law. And even in Psalm 23, we sing about it today, that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. In the, in the New Testament, you see it. And think about in Acts chapter 2. There was 120 people gathered in the upper room. This was, as you guys know, Pentecost. Pentecost was a feast. It was the feast of Pentecost. It was 120 people gathered around waiting for God, eating and drinking together. 
and the Spirit descends on them. This, the, the whole gospel story is centered around food. You see it in Luke uh, 15. You guys remember the prodigal son? We preach on the prodigal son a lot. What's the reason that he goes back to his father? He's hungry. Man needs some food. It's not because he's convicted, not because he feels bad about going to all those strip clubs and giving all of his money away. Remember that? It's not because of that. It's because he's hungry. And he goes back to his father, and what does his father do? He puts a robe on him and a ring, and he makes him a meal. Think about the whole story. It ends at Revelation 19. Remember when all of God's people from all times past, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, they gather together, and where are they at? A table, the marriage supper of the land. They feast together with Jesus at the head of the table. I think we even look at Jesus. Think about Jesus. He, we're about to celebrate Advent. We're about to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And even at his birth, where was he placed? In a manger, which was really just a feeding trough for an animal. The whole story starts at a table. We're about with Jesus' first miracle, when he turns the water into wine at a wedding feast. Uh, this is, Jesus was so centered around food and drinks. This is what people said of him in Matthew 11, verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man, a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> Jesus was so centered around food, people thought he was a drunk. It's not that he was doing it, it's not about that he was doing it in isolation. He was doing it publicly. Like, look, this is my ministry. I will sit at a table with you, I will learn about you, and I will teach you the truth, and the truth will set you free. Even at the resurrection, the first, remember how he proves the resurrection to the disciples? He's, they're sitting out on a boat, and he's sitting on the shore, and they, they see the Lord, and they, they, Peter jumps out, and the disciples come over, and what does he say to them? Come and eat breakfast. <laughs> it's so simple. It's all about gathering together. See, Jesus used food as an opportunity for relationship. We use it as a utility. We use it as something that will get us to the next thing so that we have, so that we have some sustenance so that we can do our own thing. But Jesus used it as an opportunity. We eat meals so much, probably more than any other culture. We eat a lot. But we don't do it together. I believe that the church should be a place where we gather and eat. A place that we gather and we drink, and we don't do it in an unhealthy, isolating way, but we do it as a way to form relationships. Because that is what will form us into the image of God. That is the good life of the kingdom. Eating and drinking together. It's the lottery of life. So today, I want to read to you Luke chapter 14. Verses 16 to 24. This, I was going to preach a lot more of this passage, and I would really encourage you to read the beginning portions of it. This whole conversation is happening, uh, starts in verse 1, where Jesus is sitting with, a, with tax collectors, Pharisees, lawyers. He is sitting with his disciples because we have the account here. And there's a man there suffering from something called dropsy, which just sounds really gross to me. I don't know what that is. 
but there's a man that has that is outcasted in society because of a disease that he has, which I think is significant as we enter into this passage because Jesus is sitting at this table with people from every sphere of his life. He even, if he would have, he has, probably has James here, which would have been part of his family. He's got his friends. He's got his work and ministry. He's got his superiors and his colleagues. He's got the world sitting right there in front of him, the outcasts and the ones who are highest on the cast. He's got them all at one table together. And you better believe he uses it. He uses it and he talks and he humbles the ones who sit at the highest seats and he raises the ones who sit at the lowest seats. And this is what he says. He teaches this and he uses, as he's sitting at a table, uses a table to teach. This is what he says in verse 16. said to him, a man was giving a big dinner. I'll clue you in. The man is father. Man is giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife. For that reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry. He said to his slave, go out at once to the streets and the lanes of the city. The streets and the land, the word in the Greek, it would have really been like the alleyways, not the places where everybody would have traveled. This would have been the places where you wouldn't have wanted to travel. Go into the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you command him has been done. Still there's room. Still there is room. The master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges. Compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. God, open this up. Open this up. Six. Amen. I, when I read this passage, I, I immediately feel conviction. I feel, when I read this, I, just, this is personal. I, there's like a little bit of a, a fear in me. The, the, the people who, who God first asked to come to sit at the table, they have every reason in the world not to. And they eventually don't even get to eat the meal. That's us, guys. You're the one, we are the ones who are being invited. I think that God is so written the story for us to be sitting at tables together, and we have this opportunity to enter in. But it's a decision we have to make. It's a decision we have to make to say, I'm going to enter into this story where I'm going to... See, your table is God's table. That's how this works. Your table, the tables that you, that you have in your life, by inviting your friends, your family, the poor, the crippled, the lame, to those tables, you're inviting them to God's table because we are the body of Christ. It's just like Sarah said today. Christ has come, right? He came in a feeding trough. He wrote the story. He's coming. He's coming 
Not from manna from heaven like Josh talked about. He's not coming that way. He's coming from you. He's coming to your table. And he's coming again. He'll come at the marriage supper. So personally, I just feel, I feel a level of conviction when I see this. And I, I look at my life, and I think that we hit it today. We're just spread thin. Like, like are we, I probably hear this today, and we're like, how am I going to in, introduce another thing in my life? I already don't have time for 12-minute meals. How am I going to do 90-minute meals, right? How am I going to enter into a story that, that's, that, and hear this type of challenge and add something else to my life? I personally, I've got as much as any of you. I can promise you that. I've got work, ministry. I've got a second job. I've got a wife, two kids, another one on the way, a house. My life is busy, right? Like I have to make serious decisions in my life to be able to center around the table. We've done it in some capacities. Um, my, my family eats two meals a day together at a table. I know that's not like, that's probably impossible for most people, but we made decisions that said, you know what? I'd rather make less money. I'd rather live in a smaller house. I'd rather do X, Y, and Z and be together than anything else. And so we've done that. There are serious decisions in life that are not just, I'm going to add something else that we have to make if we're really going to do this, if we're really going to rewrite the script for the world about what it means to be disciples. I think many of us are just spread thin. We've got, we've got our family. We've got our friends, work, church. Even I think churches do this. We, we come up here and we say, all right, we need more volunteers, right? Like, let's add another thing to your life. And you're, you probably just constantly feel like people are asking things of you. I can't, even, I can't even juggle my own stuff. How am I going to do another thing? And, and remember, the, the people that miss out on this the most is the world. Because we're living, we're living it right here, right? You're experiencing it. You're experiencing community. The world isn't, right? There's people outside of these walls who are daily dying inside because they need something that has substance. And we offer that. We offer that, but we're so spread thin we can't do anything about it. And I think that the table is the common place. It's the place where Jesus says, I, will, I can use this as a way to bring all of my spheres together, and I will hone in and bring in conversation and relationship. And that's what we can do. We can engage the world and invite people through the use of something that we've just lost. It's something that we do daily. So these people in this passage have every excuse, right? And some of them are really good, and I've actually heard a lot of them for people who don't want to participate in church. Right, I, well, I, that one of the people says, I just bought a piece of land, right? Like, how, I mean, have you ever, anybody bought, ever bought a house? And it's just like throws you out of pocket for like two months straight. We, we can make every excuse. I, I just had a baby, right? Like, I just, I, just got, I just got married and I've just been really, you know, got to really focus on that. Those are, those can become idols. I'm going to be honest with you. Family, while, it, while many of us aren't even giving our family the time, if we only give our family the time and we, we actually sacrifice some of the wrong things and we call it self-care and it's actually selfish because we, we do this. We say, we say yes to the wrong things and we say no to the right things. And that's what it's really about. It's not about adding more things. It's about are we really saying yes to the right things? And the right things is relationship. The wrong things are things that build your kingdom. Your kingdom will fail. God's will not. And God's is centered around a table. 
You see, our world suffers. And when I think about, and I feel like something prophetic in me that feels like I have to think through this through the lens of this church. And as we're, we're talking about City Kids today, if, if this church is going to be healthy in 20 years, like we have got to do this right, guys. We have, to, we have to build relationships, not just with each other, but we have to find ways to do it in the world. It, it can't be like it is. And the way that, we gr- that, that healthy growth, Josh and I have been kind of pulling this in our, in our community and in people we know to try to figure out how do we grow healthy here. I think one of the, two of the markers of being healthy is, are we discipling our children, number one? Because they are the ones who will, they will be the leadership of this church, they will be the leadership of other churches, they will be impacting our city, right? Our children. And secondly, our world. These are the, these are the two ways. Do you guys know that we lose, Protestant denominations lose 50 to 70% of their children? They, they do not get re-engage with church through the next generation. 30 or 50 to 70 percent. We're only keeping 30 percent. That means we're doing it wrong. So don't just hear today and be like, oh yeah, this that stinks. I'm probably I'm probably not part of that. You are. We we're we are doing this to ourselves. It's our decision that we're making. And our neighbors are suffering because of it. You see the future. The future of Smyrna, listen to me, the future of Smyrna depends on who you eat with. The future of Smyrna depends on who you eat with. It's not, it's not more complicated than that. Whether you family, friends, or those that are poor and crippled, sleeping in areas of this place that you guys would never see, right? The answer to the world's deepest need is sitting on four legs collecting dust. And these tables are common places. I think that we, it's as simple as, as, as just tabling the parts of our lives. Like we, have, we have family, friends, work, Table these things. And when I don't mean like table them, like stick them off to the side and come back to them later. I'm talking about sit, find ways to, to eat and, and drink with the people in your life. Whatever sector of your world that is, find ways to eat and drink because eating and drinking brings relationship. And we have to find ways to bring these tables together. And it's Family Sunday. I feel like I need to address the youth today. And so, for those of you who haven't been listening, I remember as a youth, okay, elementary, middle, high school, the most insecure I have ever felt, maybe from, from youth to now, is on the first day of school when you don't know who to sit with at lunch. It is a terrifying experience, right? You enter in and you don't know if you're, you have a couple friends at school maybe and you don't know if they're going to be there or if you have the same block as them. And it's, it's terrifying that you're going to be the one sitting alone, right? Even our movies depict that, right? They end up sitting in a bathroom stall. I don't know if that really happens, but... I remember those feelings, okay, youth? And you have opportunities grafted right into your day that you can go 
and you can sit with people who do not look like you and who can be, you can have an opportunity to engage with a relationship with somebody, okay? And so go into these, go into your schools and think about it not as something that is happening to you, but something that you get to impact, right? And, and parents, encourage your children to sit with the unlovable kid. It will, that can transform their life. I wish I would have done that as a youth so badly. Instead, I was the selfish one that was trying to find my way into a clique. And while all the time, I could have created and affected so much change. So as we close, like what, what, back to you adults, right? What's keeping you from the table? What is it that's keeping you? What excuses do we have? And we have, we have to be in mind that what he says in this parable is, if you make excuses your whole life, you will not sit at this table. And you can come on Sunday mornings and not sit at the table because you have made excuses your whole life. Guys, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that personally. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to preach hard to you, but I don't want to be that for me. I don't want to be the one who I lived my whole life and I built an awesome ministry while my kids suffered. You don't want to be the one who built a great bank account and retired and live on a beach when your kids don't know who their father is. We eat all the time. Maybe some big changes just need to be made. And I would just encourage you, maybe you're stirred, pray into it. Pray into what changes need to be made. And I think theologically, I just have to ask a question, like, is there even room at your table? Is there room at your table for people who don't act like you? People who are of a different sexual orientation than you? People who have a different skin color than you? People who have a different political agenda than you? Are there, is there room at your, ta- at your personal table? Okay, not your, like, not your, like, metaphorical table. Your personal table, is there room for someone like that? If the answer is no, then we have to have a check because Jesus invited them. Who can sit there? And I would encourage, and as want prayer teams, go ahead and come up and worship. We're entering into to Advent, and we're trying to craft these ways like breakfast next week and these things to find ways to build community together. And I think that Advent could be a, a season for our church where we start to table our lives. We start to say, I'm going to center my life around the table. And I would encourage you to do that. Don't, don't bite the bait this Christmas season to be a consumer and to move fast. Go, go, go. Take the offer that Jesus has for you, which is, I will sit at this table with you in the presence of your enemies. I will fight your battles for you. And I will sit and be with you as you are with others. And that is key, as you are with others. And I think Advent offers an opportunity for us. So let's pray. God, you're good. I think you're in a good mood. I think that you look upon your children and you're pleased. I don't sense judgment or condemnation. God, I see the eyes of a loving father. I, I picture 
just like the prodigal son running into the arms of his father. And I thank God that you just want us to be there. You just want us to try. And I believe that God is saying there is grace for anyone who wants to come. To anyone who wants to eat and drink and dine with Christ. May we enter into a new story. May today be a day that we mark our lives and say, I will enter into a story that is slower, but engages people. God, even in our minds, that you would bring up the people that we are called to. God, for the divisions that exist, that you would bring unity. God, for the tumultuous situations from past, present, or future, we pray that you would bring reconciliation. May you provide food for us daily, and may we give that food. Thanks. God, release us into this week. Give us creative ways to engage our world. And give us the peace that, tra- that, that totally passes our understanding. God, that it would fill our hearts and minds to know that you are good and that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.